Hello, my name is Latoya Wallace from www.latoyawallace.com. And thank you for tuning in to the SME Stories podcast. You are now listening to the next great small business podcast. Welcome to the SME Stories podcast, where it is all about small businesses in Canada. And here's your host, Ken Alfred. Everybody, thanks for downloading the show. I really appreciate it. Today, we are actually in the real estate industry. Today, we have Latoya Wallace of LatoyaWallace.com. Here's a little bit of background on Latoya. Latoya Wallace has been a real estate broker and the prime owner of LatoyaWallace.com. She has been buying and selling properties all over the GTA, that's Greater Toronto Area for my listeners outside of Ontario, where she's been providing top-notch service for her clients and gives them all a friendly and professional experience when buying and selling their first home or 50th home. I've known Latoya for over 26 years. We went to the same high school in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada. My wife, Mrs. K, and I actually had Latoya buy our first property back in 2009 in Stouffville, Ontario. Latoya's been in the real estate game for a while, so you're going to learn a lot today. So just sit back and absorb. All right, guys, we have Latoya Wallace from LatoyaWallace.com. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Ken? I am doing well, and as a People mainly say, I'm living the dream. Fantastic. Wh- whatever that means, I still don't know what it means. It has a personal meaning to everybody. So what, that could be half investing and working part-time, or it could be full-time investing and not working at all, nine-to-five jobs. So it really depends. Excellent. Perfect. All right. LatoyaWallace.com. What is mm-hmm. your story? Okay. So my, I'll start with my business story. A lot of people ask me, how did you get into the business or how did you manage the ups and downs and how did you manage having consistency throughout my business? So in the beginning, actually, I have a lot of family members that are in real estate. So my mom, my stepdad at the time in the uh, late 80s, it's been something that's embedded in me naturally, but I didn't, I, in my mind, I was just like, no, I'm not going to pursue it. I'm going to go to school and go to university, find my own path and figure out what I want to do. Went to university, um, ended up taking a geographic analysis and graduating from good old Ryerson. But what I did realize was a lot of it was based on real estate. Some of it was based on real estate anyways. We did have to study the demographics of people. We had to study land. We had to do topography and just the movement of people in general. This has to do with real estate, but more on a commercial level. However, this could also be applied in the residential field. So I did end up working for, for the city, doing a lot of a lot of court accounts there. So again, the study of people and their movements. So we actually did a lot of studies on Union Station to figure out whether or not the city would increase it. Then I ended up working for a a relocation company moving a lot of employees uh, between Canada, the U.S., and eventually Hong Kong. However, with that, again, it involved real estate. So I just felt everything that I do kind of leads back to real estate. <laughs> you tried to get away so from it, Latoya, for some reason I just know, pulls you it back. I know, calling me. It's calling me. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, you know what? I feel like a lot of my life just pulls me back there. So why not explore it? So I ended up getting my real estate license and that was in the around April 2006 is when I actually got my license. From there, I was kind of like, okay, now I have my license. What do I do? 
So I ended up working with my mom for a while because my mom, as I said, she's been doing real estate since the 80s. I worked with her to get more experience working professionally um, as an agent. Going from there, after a while, it, it, real estate does become repetitive. The only thing is you work with different families, different, not only families, but singles and people downsizing. I found that I wanted to move into maybe a different space and do consulting. So I actually did consulting for TELUS. I actually helped with their network tower spaces. So a lot of people don't know this, but <laughs> they actually lease a lot of space to um, hold their equipment so that your cell phone or internet or whatever other services they provide. Oh. So you have to actually get land leases approved and see if the equipment for these uh, devices to work. So I did that for a bit and then got contracted from a client that I was working with. She was a a producer on um, some shows for HGTV. So I actually did some uh, consulting work for the Property Brothers production for a couple of years. So you met the Property Brothers? I did. <laughs> How tall are they? They look really tall. They are tall, but not short. I'm 5'1", yeah. so everybody's tall. <laughs> okay. No, you're the same height as Mrs. K, my wife. So she's 5'1", too. Or I think yeah. she's, 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 she says she's more like 5'1 half. so she wants to round up to 5'2". But I'm like, no, you're 5'1". I don't blame her. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Yes, I'm just uh, stuck to real estate and from there, a lot of my business comes from referrals. So family, friends, we've known each other, Ken, since uh, high school. Since high school. And you and I, I wrote this and I mentioned this in the intro that you didn't hear, but you actually helped Mrs. Ken and I buy our first house in Stouffville, yeah. Ontario. And I remember <laughs> that day like I would never forget. So we we're in Latoya's car. She, we're driving because we were looking, we were living in a condo at Young and Finch at the time. So we're like, okay, yep. we're, we just got married. We just thought about maybe getting a house. So we thought, oh, we're going to stay maybe within the East End, Scarborough, Markham area. And then Latoya's like, I got this place. It's in Stouffville. <laughs> I'm like, where is Stouffville? Oh, it's really close to Markham. I thought, oh, okay, <laughs> sure. So as we're driving in Latoya's car, we suddenly see farmland. And I'm like... <laughs> What is this? So it's yeah. funny because if you take, if you drive to Stouffville, now that was back in 2009. Now it's way yeah. different now. If you look at Stouffville, mm -hmm. a lot of it is, it's it's a lot of subdivisions and a lot of schools. Yeah. So the and you guys were literally on the border of Markham and Stouffville right. at the time when exactly. you guys caught. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So within five minute drive from Stouffville, you're in Mark, you're hitting Markham. You're welcome to Markham. And I'll always have a soft spot for Stouffville because that was our first home and we wanted to upgrade while we were there. But Back in 2014, for some reason, it was like to upgrade in Stouffville, you had to mm -hmm. pay almost like 600K for and yeah. back then in 2014, which nowadays is probably, oh, that's cheap. But back then mm -hmm. we're like, wait a minute, that's because we thought might as well grow within. We just had our daughter and we were going to mm -hmm. have our, our son next. So we thought about expanding out, but I knew we would, but I was saying over 600. I was like, wow, maybe not. <laughs> But no, continue with your story yeah. there. So you did a lot of stuff, which is really good. So yeah. in terms of your business, Latoya, like how do you, what kind of growth do you expect to see in the next year, maybe next five years? So I always say that I honestly personally don't like when people try to make predictions okay. because I do, you, like you don't know what's going to happen. Who knew that COVID was going to happen? Exactly. Who knows what the next, well, who knows if we get a new government and the new government decides 
that they're going to put a bunch of rules in place that are going to inhibit some people from buying. So I, I can't predict that far because I have no idea. And, and I always tell people, just tell the truth. You really don't have an idea. <laughs> in terms of how would you run your, like, so how you currently run your business, What is there anything you're expecting for your own business that you hope to obviously make it grow a little bit, even if the market is can be a little bit swashy? Would you go back to consulting? Would you do maybe a different investment type that may not be as fluctuating as much as, uh, let's say, residential real estate? So it's like okay. one of those kind of things. So one of the things that I love about real estate is that there's so many facets to it. So. When I say so many facets, and I encourage anybody in real estate or that has real estate, keep what you have. Like you just keep what you have. If you can take the equity out and buy something new or buy that big family home that you want and you can do it, I encourage anybody to do it. I That's what I've done so that I don't have to necessarily rely on the economy. So for me and my personal portfolio, like my house right now, like I have a basement apartment. So I rent out my basement apartment. So in my mind, I know that my expenses are cut in half. I don't have to ever worry about it because cut in half based on making sure that I don't have any expenses. So I don't have to worry about that. And I also have my own personal real estate investments. So for me, I've always looked for properties that had great cash flow. I know some people are like, hey, you buy an expensive property and you may break even. Some people are okay with breaking even, or some people are even okay with the fact that the property brings in a negative cash flow. However, the asset will grow later on. So again, I don't knock any method. It just depends on what method you decide to use. But for me, it's always cash flowing properties. So I can tell you a story about the fact that I actually owned a five bedroom rooming house in Lindsay. So after I bought my house, I bought a five-bedroom rooming house and I was managing it on my own. And that was bringing in, so at first it was bringing in about $500 cash flow because at that time I had bought it for 170000 Wow. And it was, yeah, <laughs> it was, <laughs> and it was zoned commercial residential. So for me, it was like, oh, this is great. And it's already set up. But the only thing is the rents were low. And I knew I could increase the rents and I've seen some things in there that I can do to improve the property in order to increase the value of the property and increase the rents. So what I went, what I did was I did, when I took ownership, I did do, I did file my paperwork to do rent increases on all the tenants. Some of them liked it or some of them agreed were okay with it and some of them hated it. So the ones that hated it, for me, I was completely fine with it because I knew that I could get more rents than the rent increase that I had imposed on them. So what I did was when they moved out, the rents, you know, I fixed up the room, then got it rented, and I was making $1,000. So now I'm making $1,000 cash flow from an investment. My I have a basement apartment, and then on top of the basement apartment, I also had low, no bills. So for me... If we had a recession or economic turmoil or whatever, I never had to worry. So that's how I encourage people to ride out waves, whether or not you have employment, just to make sure you keep your expenses low and you just make sure you buy investments. So currently, I even I buy in the U.S. now. So oh. I buy in the States. Yeah. So I buy in the States because I know for myself that based on equity that you can pull out, you can buy those things cash and you cash flow way more than what I would buying a property out here for now. You can't even buy property for 170, 200,000 anymore. Like even if you go all the way to Windsor, yeah. <laughs> then you're paying three, $400,000 for a house now. 
and you have to take into consideration because it's a little further from Toronto. You got to pay the property manager and you got to do all these other things. Yeah, even in Oshawa too, because I know that's one of the areas that, that's on your site that the one of the air coverage areas is Oshawa too, because that's always, oh, we'll buy a place in Oshawa. And you're like, well, wow, they're they're not, some of the places aren't cheap there either. So No, so they how, used to be. How do you deal with this to me? Because I'm sure there we may have some people that maybe wanted to get into real estate investment and the mm-hmm. idea, and they're like, there may be more hands-on. They'd be like, okay, I want to find a property that I want to either manage myself or have a property manager. I can really, you know, see, and we can see the property. How do you transition that to, because you said you you touch the states. So for a yes. Canadian that potentially wants to do that, but they're like, they're a little bit uneasy because you're like, okay, I can't just easily go to the states to check the property, yes. even if I have a yes. property manager. But who yep. in the U.S. should I trust to manage this property for right. me? So how would you <laughs> right. alleviate so, their concerns on that? So for me, I actually bought mine before the pandemic started. So just before the pandemic started, I had already did my due diligence and I went over there and I checked the community. I did my research. I did my research on the players that I would have on my team. So I did a lot of research because I know that there can be a whole different thing going on. If you haven't seen the area, you're not familiar with anything. I don't like there's some investors that will buy sight unseen. Great for them. But (laughs) I need to know where I'm buying. That's my comfort level. So if I don't know the city that I'm going to buy in or the the space or the county or town that I'm buying in, I don't feel comfortable. So I already did my my due diligence before the lockdown happened. And I do have a property manager that I do trust and he communicates with me all the time. And and for me, because the property's paid off cash and I have a triplex, for me to be quite honest, the expenses, the only thing that I'm paying for is property taxes because all of the of the units are separately metered. Right. So I only pay property taxes. So for me, even if there's not one tenant, if there's only two tenants in there or one, I can still cover my expenses. All right. So basically, for those who are not listening, so in order to do what Latoya does, you need to build a time machine to go back before COVID so you can mm-hmm. go to the States to actually check the properties then. But aside from yeah. that, I think what we all really, would, in all essence, uh, all joking aside, is that <laughs> really finding that firm that you, that you can trust. like that, Because that's going to be a big thing because that person yeah. or persons is going to be representing you Outside mm-hmm. of Canada, because some people, they, I know that one of the concerns for some real estate investors is like, oh, they, they have a hard time finding a good property manager because, yeah. oh, they just, you know, they'll just, they just, they don't even go there unless there's a problem. So they don't really, they don't really have a good reporting system or they really don't have good quality. So you got to make sure you really, like you said, mm-hmm. do your due diligence, find the rights of, find the right uh, people that can do it. And mm-hmm. before you start doing it, right. Cause I guess that's the thing. And, and and the other thing, the other big tip too, is sometimes you can find a property manager that's actually a realtor. You have to do your due diligence. Some states it's actually required that you have your real estate license in order to do property management. So for me, because the property management company is actually owned by a realtor, we do have a good rapport because he knows that I do want to put more properties under my belt. So it's in his best interest to make sure that my needs are met. Nice. Nice. So we kind of touched this on before you talk about your expenses. What has been your biggest expense running your business? People might assume, okay, it's actually buying the actual properties. So yeah, <laughs> I assume, is that the biggest ones or is there some other? And if that's if those are usually the big ones, what are some other expenses that probably people don't even realize when it comes to buying a property of any kind, right? That mm-hmm. Or that you're actually having to spend on would be mm-hmm. nice to know. Investment-wise or just buying a general property in like a home? I keep it open home. so you can give two okay. different scenarios. <laughs> okay. I guess buying a property, I guess 
some of the expenses that you have to think about, they're not ongoing, but some people leave out the legal fees, like they, the miscellaneous for closing. So I think some people don't understand that even after you have you know, your bulk of money to buy the home, you also have to understand that you have closing costs. So closing costs will usually run you 2% of your purchase price. So keep that in mind. There can be things that come up, meaning that if the homeowner, you bought it, you're buying in, I don't know, June, and the homeowner paid a lump sum on the property taxes for from June to December. It just means that expense is going to come out of your pocket because now you're going to be the new homeowner from June to December. So that could be another expense. And uh, when you go in, I say no house is perfect. I don't even care if it's brand new. No home is perfect. So and even the home inspector can miss things. And because they can miss things, have a secret stash so that you you can cover those things. It could be it could be a two year old furnace and they probably bought it out cash and they can conk out on you. Mm. Like you have to buy a brand new furnace. I've seen a house seven years old and the roof was hor the roof needed to be torn up. <laughs> So there's there's things that happen. They say that you should have at least maybe three or four months rent uh, mortgage put aside when you do buy a new home. Yeah. Yeah. So be prepared to just put some money aside just in case because you just never know. So how about from now let's put the realtor broker hat on, not the buyer. So when you're actually running, you're you're in the business now of real Mm -hmm. estate, what Mm -hmm. is uh, your biggest expense or some other expenses that a lot of average Joes who don't, who aren't in that space don't realize, oh, wow, you guys spend money on that? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, We have franchise fees, which means that if we work for a big franchise like Century 21 or Keller Williams or Remax, we do have franchise fees that we have to pay because we are part of a franchise and it's a big brand. Then there could, then there's also, sorry, office expenses. So each realtor has office expenses, which covers the answering services. It covers messages. It, it, it uh, covers uh, how we deal with open houses or showings for your property, paperwork. So we have to pay for that as well. Wow. We also have to pay for our own marketing materials. The more marketing that you see out there, it's not free. We got to yes. pay for our, our business cards, sandwich boards, whether they're being mugs, cups, bags, whatever. We have to pay for that. Then there's maintenance of our vehicles. Just, yeah, running your, nothing is covered. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's funny you talk about having to market yourself and, and all that sort of stuff. Because I, I always keep saying, because I, I think every time we get mail, there's always mm-hmm. at least four or five realtor advertisements mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. And I remember yeah. one time driving by, we just passed by a bus stop and mm-hmm. it was a husband and wife, and I'm not going to use their real names, but mm-hmm. I just remember they had the, that the coolest bus bench advertisement, and it was the husband's name. I'm just going to make it up there. John and the wife's oh. name, let's say Katie, but their last name was Juan. And the right Juans <laughs> to do business yes, with. And yes. I'm like, oh, yeah. brilliant. <laughs> yeah. But no, we, we got to pay for that. We got to, yeah. sometimes you pay a marketing person and you got to get a marketing person to make, maybe make a catchy slogan to put all of that material together. Because unless a, a realtor has worked in the, the marketing space, we got to pay people to put all that stuff together for us. So there's a lot, there's quite a lot. So the more advertisement, the more promotions, the more everything that you see, the more money and expenses that costs, which means that you have to have the, the volume of customers to support it. Yeah. And I know we're going to get to the tips from the pro segment, especially for those that are new and up and coming that want to get Mm -hmm. into it. So we'll get into that part too. But uh, before we get into that, so 
in terms of social media, now this isn't a social media podcast by any means, but how important is social media to your business, Latoya, and, and what tools do you generally use? So social media does play a role in promoting a property. So when I promote properties, when I host an event, um, I do take into consideration that social media will play a big part. However, relationships are not built on social media. I can tell you that right now. It may entice your inner circle. It may entice your family and friends or acquaintances. But to meet new clientele, I always say the best way to do that is through meeting face-to-face. There's nothing better than that. So if you're not a social person, (laughs) meaning meeting people face-to-face, then it'll be a challenge because think about the relationships or you being online and somebody just randomly coming up to you and wanting to sell you something. You're kind of like, who the heck are you? Why would I trust you? And where did you come from? So the best way to meet new people is face-to-face, whether it be a social environment, something, some similar interests. But for the most part, social media is just good to make sure that you keep in contact with your inner circle and your family and friends and your acquaintances. That's what I have experienced over the years. And so which ones do you use? I think it was a Facebook, do you do Instagram as well or Pinterest? Yes, I do. I do Facebook. I do Facebook and I do Instagram. Those are my two main ones. And I do Twitter sometimes. Okay. I find with Instagram, <clears throat> there's a lot of people on Instagram because they like pictures. <laughs> yes. And now I do, they like pictures, but some of the reels too. So some of the, the video images. So a lot of people like that as long as you have subtitles. But uh, for the most part, that's pretty catchy. But it just gives people, it just gives people an insight of, hey, I'm still here. And I'm still doing things. And these are the things that I'm doing, sharing an insight of what you're doing. Facebook is, I guess, the same tool. However, I feel I feel like Instagram would be more effective than Facebook if you're going to do more interactive stuff and kind of share um, more family and maybe more of uh, what you're doing, give them an insight. But you have to put in more of an effort to reach out to those people as opposed to Instagram. Okay, no, that's good to know. So. We're going to hit the, we're going to talk now about just the general real estate industry. I know you don't want to give predictions, but what is your current <laughs> opinion on the real, on the real estate industry right now? And where do you think it's going? So the real estate industry right now is going up, up, up. A lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people are sitting back and like, oh, we're going to go through recession. But we've been seeing that for the past 10, 15 years. And yes. we're still going In- up. Interest rates are still low. <laughs> and yeah, sorry, continue going to that. Yeah. So yeah, the, the interest rates are still low. So compared, compared to again, 15, 20 years ago, buy, don't wait, just buy because you're going to get priced out of the market. If you can buy and you can get something, buy it. If you can, you know, team up with somebody and buy an investment or whatever, and it breaks even, then do it. Because at the end of the day, I tell people this all the time. I had to start from scratch actually in 20, 15. So a lot of people don't know that I had to start from scratch in terms of my portfolio in 2015. So for me, when I had to start from scratch, I took a year to just work and figure out, okay, what is my next move and how am I going to do it? And my first thought was I need to buy real estate. I don't care what happens, but I need to buy real estate. And that was the best decision that I ever made because one of the things that I think about, I'm like, wow, would I buy my house again in today's market? I wouldn't want to buy my house in today's market because I would want something bigger and better. But because of the price point, which is absolutely ridiculous, 
you know, it would, there would be some stumbling blocks to do that. And it would cost me double or triple the money to do that. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Because right now, mm-hmm. like we're based out of Ajax right now. And mm-hmm. some people said, oh, Ken, you can sell your house. You could probably get a sell your house for, let's say, a million dollars. I'm just throwing that number out there. Yeah. And then Mrs. K hears that. Great. We can sell it. And I'm like, and then she said, why don't we do that? I'm like, and move where? Where are we going to move? You <laughs> that's know, it. You want to go move back? Where? You want to go back to Young and Finch? I'm like, my God, we'll have to take out another mortgage for that. <laughs> yeah. So it's almost yeah. like you have to be very picky with where you want to go. And like you said, yeah. if you can, because I think what a lot of what we're noticing a lot of now, at least in our area, is that a lot mm-hmm. of multi generational families are purchasing properties just because yeah. of the market, yep. because the yep. price is high. If it's just a small family that tries, they might not be able to afford the 20, 25 percent down. But That's if right. they have another family or another family that jumps in and they each live on a different floor. Okay, that can work. So that's what's actually happening right now. So a lot of people that are okay and are savvy in terms of, hey, you know what? Let's buy together. In five years, we'll reevaluate, see where the market has gone. And if we want to split up, then we can divide what the increase was, divide the equity in the property, and then we can split up as a family and everybody has their own home. So again, you have, so for even the older generation, they're deciding that, hey, there's something called a reverse mortgage. I'm not sure if a lot of people know what that is, but there's something called a reverse mortgage. So with the reverse mortgage, if you have an elderly parent that, that has equity in their property or that has their house paid off for, they can actually borrow against the house and the house will get paid off for once they pass away in the estate. So you can actually take an advancement on the property and go and buy real estate. So a lot of people that have parents that are saying, hey, you know what? I'd rather give you some of your inheritance now so you can buy a house and live with your family instead of when I die. So that's another way uh, that people are getting into the market. And they're like, wow, it's such a great way because not only can I borrow this money, but I can wait five years, wait for the increase to happen, refinance the house and even put back the money. So they don't have to pay so much interest on it when they pass away. So there's different creative ways of getting into the market. It's just you got to be open to something that may be non-traditional. And I think that's a very good point. This is there's a lot of creative strategies that you just talked about. And I think it's going to go well over most of the people's heads. But I think that that's a good thing. That's why they need to reach out and pick your brain and work with you on that. Because you being in the game for as long as you have, you can instill Mm -hmm. some of those strategies, some that may be easier to apply than others. But uh, if it's one of those that if you're looking for an investor savvy person, you talk about this Mm -hmm. stuff, because I think most people think, and I'm just Mm -hmm. going off generalities here, is that, okay, I can buy a property and I can fix and flip it, or I can buy a property and rent it out. Or like you said, the reverse mortgage thing, I don't even think they even knew that that's even an option. Mm -hmm. Maybe if it's something that they're currently living in a house, maybe, but Mm -hmm. we can actually reverse a mortgage and actually take some money and actually get something else. That's good to know. So I think that's why we want someone like yourself on there that can, that have seen some of these things. And like I said, we can't, we can only scratch the surface, obviously, because it's not, maybe we'll do another episode where we will do a specific ones on investment real estate with LaToya. And then it'll be like a bunch of user questions of stuff to say, okay, here's, I'll be all right. Here is one million questions from listeners. So we're not, we'll record this entire <laughs> podcast for all until all one million questions are, are answered. Yeah. That's just saying. So, back yeah, back. no, for sure. For yeah. sure. As I said, there's so many ways to get into the market. And as, as I said, because of today's market, because of where the prices are, you do have to be creative. 
You do talk to many investors, go on podcasts and listen. Kenneth is doing an excellent job with finding, you know, different investors, what they do, what their strategy is, just to formulate, well, what way would probably work for me or be comfortable for me? And even staying in your comfort level, to be quite honest, will not get you anywhere. So you do have to be prepared to take the plunge. For me, it was scary because for me, I invest a lot on my own. So buying a house in the States, I was like, oh my gosh, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? What do I look for? So I did a lot of my due diligence as well. And to be quite honest, it wasn't that scary because I said, let me start with something that I'm comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I bought my triplex, a lot of people think, oh my gosh, you probably paid 500,000 US. And how did she pay for that cash? Because she has real estate because she's a real estate agent. No, I paid $35,000 for it. I did not pay 500000 And the only thing that needed to be fixed was the porch and the roof. And because I knew the cash flow in the property was making me $1,000 in my pocket, I knew that in about a year and a half, I can pay for the roof because it won't come out of my pocket. Right. I can pay for the roof. And now, and I did pay for the roof actually cash without using any of my money. The porch I also fixed and I never used any of my money to do it. I just the saved the money that I was getting yeah. as cash flow. Yeah. And I think what people too is I think the challenge that some people have is they have, they see the, the HGTV shows of whether it's the mm-hmm. fix and flipping or the ones like uh, that are for investment properties. And some of them see that they're like, oh, that looks easy. It seems simple, but readers and listeners, you're not seeing this, but she's shaking her head vigorously. No. So what are the the common misconceptions people have? So we'll use a scenario of, okay, we want to do investment real estate. Like I want to do what those Scott McGilvery's or those home contractors that do the fix and flip shows. And I want to do some of those things. What are the things that people come to you with that uh, in actuality, and I'm shaking my head, no, is not really (laughs) realistic to reality? See, the key word here, Kenneth, was that you said, a lot of contractors are doing fix and flips, which means that they can mitigate their costs or they can offset some of the costs. When you have no idea what you're doing, how do you know if the plumber is doing the plumbing? How do you know the electrician is doing electric work right? How do you know if, you know, they're doing the flooring right or the kitchen or whatever? So you got to, again, you got to research your contractors. So you got to maybe be there for the first project. You may have to be there for the first project to be a site manager. And maybe you may have to drop in every once in a while until that project is done because something may go wrong. Somebody may try to cut corners. Somebody may put in something that you don't necessarily agree with or that you didn't agree with. So there's just so many things. Until you get that and trust level, right? Until you that's can trust right. them. That's right. That's right. Or you have somebody that can pop in every once in a while to check in on the project until, as you said, until you build that trust level. But again, that trust level comes in when you do many deals with them. So is that going to be your your first deal, second deal, third deal? How long is that going to take? You may have to swap out some contractors. But from a distance, how are you going to know that you need to do that? Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, fix and flip, especially if you're a first-time investor, I say, look, try to get a buy and hold, <laughs> get tenants in there, figure out the, the, cause some people don't even feel comfortable with that. What happened if I get bad tenants? Trust me, 
it's 10 times easier to deal with paperwork to get out bad tenants than it is to deal with a bad contractor who wasted all of your money and you have to probably rip out all the plumbing in your home or all the electrical. That's a nightmare too. So let me ask you this question then. So mm-hmm. how do you deal with, and I guess I'm speaking from the investor's part perspective that may look about this, then they hear about the horror story of the bad te- or the professional tenants. And, and I know mm-hmm. in Ontario, I know a lot of it is very leans towards the tenants. Side. Yeah. So for, cause I think what people, but maybe sometimes he doesn't really do a good job is they only show like the really bad landlords that are, you know, mm-hmm. they're letting their tenants live in pest filled stuff, b- holes and stuff. When I think mm-hmm. majority of the tenants or sorry, the majority of the, of the landlords are probably just like the average Joe that, like you said, they just want to, build a little bit of, mm-hmm. want to make a little bit of extra money of, of cash flow. Doesn't mean they're burning a hundred dollar bill, smoking a cigar that some people like to <laughs> visualize. But then I think that story of whether the, the bad, the professional tenant or the, oh, wow, if we have to go to landlord tenant board, then it's going to always lean to the tenant. And then they're going to be stuck in my place for a year. So tell yeah. tell, tell the real stories or that you've seen and th- that people can alleviate some of that fear. Yeah, for sure. So I've actually been a landlord, as I said, myself to five different tenants. They weren't all the greatest. But what I found that worked for me and even some of my clients who've had, actually none of my clients have really had difficult tenants, (laughs) but I've had, but the thing is I know how to deal with them. For me, what I've always done is like, I'll screen them, meet them. Don't be afraid to meet your future tenants because they're going to be living in your home. So don't be afraid to do that. In terms of uh, your contracts, just again, if you're skeptical or you're not sure, you can do month to month contracts. You can do bi-weekly contracts. So everybody thinks that they're stuck to one year. You're not stuck to one year. If you do a month to month contract and you want to get them out, then you can give them the 60 days notice. And when you give them the 60 days notice, just make sure that you have your paperwork and have your dates and everything else on point. Like record everything. I don't care if you go to the dollar store and buy a separate book, record everything from beginning to end. Because in the tribunal, when you're testifying your case, you need to make sure that you have a timeline with regards to everything because most tenants do not come prepared for that. But I can tell you, I've seen a lot of landlords who don't come prepared and their cases are thrown out just because they're not organized and prepared properly. So before you go in, have everything in chronological order, (laughs) (laughs) chronological order in terms of even if you write down the time, the dates and the time, because they'll take you seriously. Hey, I tried. I did this on this date at this time, and this is what was said, this is what was done, and this is what they did not comply to. I gave them, make sure that if you do a text, you make sure you print out the text. It's better through email, but if you have text, record them, don't get irate, Don't you don't want to look like the bad guy. So you always want to look like you try to come up with a solution to the problem. Don't act like the problem, like the tenant. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, I've gone to the tribunal and I've seen many landlords lose and it was sort of something simple because they didn't record and document things properly. So for me, I record, I document and I try to reason. If I try to reason with you and I try to make arrangements, like where we have a problem, like my tenant right now, he's been living at my house for about four years. With him, there's been times where I'm having a hard time and I say, just communicate with me. As long as you communicate with me, we can work out something. So even if I realize, okay, I haven't heard from him and it's been a day or two, what's going on? I'll send him a quick text and I'll say, hey, the mortgage, the rent was due on the first and I didn't get anything from you and I haven't heard anything from you. What's going on? So he'll always reply back. So 
there's communication, there's a documentation of communication. Some tenants are not as easy to deal with, but again, document it. I've dealt with a very difficult tenant in, in the rooming house that I have. She's very difficult. However, I had my documents in place and I was ready for her. So I had everything. I got, by the time I was done, I didn't get the sheriff warrant to get her out. It wasn't for me. I was like, okay, I, I definitely have all the paperwork that I need to get her out. So it's not a problem for me. But as I said, it's record everything. Record everything. <laughs> record everything. I don't care what a document. I don't care if it's like a book that you have and you're not organized with it. Just shove everything in that book. Make sure the date and time is on everything. I because think that when will the, save. Yeah, because I think when the judges are looking at this stuff, they want to make sure that, like you said, if you have everything documented in books, mm-hmm. email, printouts, whatever, it shows that, okay, this person's running a professional organization. They're not trying to cut mm-hmm. corners. And, yeah. and it's up to the tenant to really prove, here's five books of communications you've had with a landlord. Can you comment on any of this stuff? If they can't, exactly. then there's no question, right? They're like, okay, exactly. yeah, you're out. So. Exactly. Exactly. And then they said, it's even like when people put them out, make sure you get your dates. They do have a hotline for landlords to help you. If you have to hire a, a paralegal or somebody, but make sure they have experience. Because as I said, I've been to the tribunal and seen paralegals be thrown out on their tail, wasting people's money. And I'm like, really? you didn't even really consult them properly before you came here. You made them go through the whole process. And now that poor landlord has to go and file the paperwork from scratch again, which means that they might have to wait another how many days in order to file again. I'm like, this is horrible. So for those investors or those landlords that look into maybe getting a paralegal, what Mm -hmm. should they budget for something like that? I know it could vary, but I guess, is there a a reasonable ballpark range that if I'm a landlord and I'm not... I might have some, I might have some of the days, but I'd like to have someone from a legal perspective, at least making yeah. sure all the things jive. How much do mm-hmm. they look to invest in that? I'm not really sure because every paralegal is different and it depends on their experience. And it, it really depends. I've never hired one myself. I've always dealt with my tribunal cases on my own. Oh, okay. So I've, yeah, I've always gone myself because again, for me, it's just, I enjoy it. <laughs> it sounds crazy, but I enjoy it. So I'm like, oh, okay, let me go there myself. This, do that. Let me see how it works. So whenever I've gone, I've gone myself. I've gone in with all my paperwork, my pictures, whatever it is that I need. I go in with everything. So for me, it's okay. I, I like, I guess for me, I feel like I can explain it best, even though I can hire someone to do it. But just to see the process and follow it through and make sure that everything is done properly, I usually end up doing it myself. Yeah. So in terms of cost, just find a paralegal that, you know, specializes in landlord and tenant and then ask them generally how many cases they've won or see if they can do a consultation in terms of what needs to be done or what paperwork you need to have in order for them to be successful because you both have to work together. Yeah, because it's so at the end of the day. So from what the listeners are listening as, you know, don't mess with Latoya if you're living in one of her properties. <laughs> Because she is coming in with two guns blazing and you were yeah. going to be basically outmatched. Just be a good tenant. She's reasonable. She's not going to yeah. She's not gonna let you drink brown water. She's not going to have mice running around no. the house. Because I no. think that's a reflection on the landlord too. I mean, you take pride in putting mm-hmm. out properties that are not just, okay, people can scrape by and live with it, but it's mm-hmm. in a reasonably good shape that yeah. people can live in and be yes. proud to live in someplace like that. Yes. And I think that's what yes. people need to realize. Yes. And as I said, don't be afraid that when you're going through the the application process, I have a, a landlord that I that he just bought a house and we just rented it out for him. He sets up interviews. All our contracts are conditional upon him having an interview with the tenant. 
So some of the tenants that we've had interviews with, we've caught them in a full out lie. So we've rejected the application. So we've been able to catch it before it becomes a problem. So don't be afraid to scrutinize during the application process. It's your home yeah. and you have to deal with these people. So don't be afraid to do that. We've caught a lot of things along the along the way just by meeting them. And we've been able to clarify a lot of things. So I say, don't be afraid to set your own rules, but as long as they're within reason and as long as they're legal. Yeah. But as I said, you that like you're allowed to meet them. Exactly. No, that's perfect. All right, we're going to touch uh, on here. So actually, before we even get to that section, last question on this. So in terms of, because obviously I like to have the podcast really show both the good and the bad about any industry we're in. So when people oh, yeah. are motivated to want to get into it, they need to know, be fully transparent. Of, okay, it's great hearing all this success because I guess you, when you hear Latoya has all these properties in the States, all these properties here, you know, she's sitting on a fat pile of cash right now. Like she's not even <laughs> sitting on a chair. She's sitting on cash. Right no, I'm kidding. But some people want to know what, what in you personally, like when you're th- doing your business, what has been like your biggest failure, but in, in retrospect, also what has been your biggest success so far? My biggest failure, my biggest failure has been that I had didn't invest sooner. <laughs> Okay. That has been my biggest failure. I wish I did. I think it was more nervousness, just like anybody else. I just got when I just got in the industry. When you make your your first, you know, pay couple paychecks or whatever, you're just just working, just trying to build your reputation, etc. So you get blindsided by the fact that hey, there's a there's something bigger than me that I should be achieving, which is investing as well as selling the houses that, that I have available or that are available. So I wish I had done a lot of bit um, earlier, even though I had opportunities to do it. And I did do some, like I had one house here, one house there, but I wish I had done more because I could have leveraged more mm-hmm. and I didn't do it, even though I had the idea and I was trying to push forward, but I wasn't as aggressive with it as I should have been. And I wish I was. So that's a regret. The success is, is that you can't live in the past and you got to continue moving forward and seeing all of the opportunities that are ahead of you, even though they seem like roadblocks to other people. They are not roadblocks for me because I always say, you know what, there's another way. And there's always a rainbow at the end of that bridge. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So this is now tips from the pro. Now, this is just a general thing. So these are people now we're talking about new real estate agents or people that are just, they would like to get into real estate, whether it's from yeah. buying and selling or maybe just like you said, an investment side. So what should I do? Let's say we'll start from the realtor side here. Should yeah. I diversify my service offering? Should I focus just on buying or just on selling or just on a particular type, whether it's residential, commercial, industrial investment, or should I be able to do both? What's your opinion? No. Uh, my opinion is fo- have a focus because you're not going to know everything. And the people are coming to you for advice about something. So if you're going to focus on first-time home buyers, then focus on first-time home buyers. If you're going to focus on investors because you are an investor yourself, then focus on investors. But I think that you should have a niche and everything else will come after. But I, I don't believe that you should be scattered. Yeah, stretched out too thin where you're not be able to yeah. give the amount of effort. Cause... That's right. That's right. Excellent. That's right. So now I say, okay, I want to be uh, an investor or let's say I want to be an agent or whatever. What should be the first investment I should buy in terms of not the property itself, but what should like for me saying I want to be a real estate agent, what should be the first thing? Again, I'm a big advocate in multifamily. Okay. I always believe that you buy duplex. If the person upstairs doesn't pay, then the person downstairs covers it until you can catch yourself or at least you pay half. So I always say if you can, 
If you can't, then try for a single family if you can, if it's cheaper for you. But I'm a big advocator for duplexes. Get a duplex because you won't, you'll never lose. Like for me, my, my uh, first house was a duplex. All my houses that I've bought and I've invested have, ha- have been multifamily or they've been duplexes. Okay. No, that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Now, how about for the person that says, I'm a new agent? What should be the first thing I buy? Whether should it be a new laptop or should it be like a, a very expensive cell phone <laughs> to run my business? So that's what I what I mean by what should I buy? Oh, okay, okay. In terms of what you should buy as a new agent, again, and I've been, I've actually been told this by my cousin because he's, uh, he works at one of the uh, cell phone or one of the, the communication companies that uh, host uh, cell phone providers. Okay. And I always say, I don't really need any big fancy phone because there's only a few options that I, or a few things that I use on the phone anyways, which is email and text and calls. And he said, look, where do you spend most of your time? And I said, on the road. I usually have my laptop and my phone and my car. And he goes, and those are the three things that you need to spend your money on because that is pretty much your business. I said, oh. Uh, yeah. So your phone, for sure. Right. Your laptop, because that's going to go everywhere with you. And your car, if you're going to be in it for, but again, there's luxury cars that are also economical. You don't have to go buy like a Jaguar, Ferrari. Look into the cars and see if it's practical for you. If you're going to stay in a niche neighborhood or an area and you don't use as much mileage, then, you know, you don't, you can buy that expensive car and be okay, but don't overdo it because people will buy from you even with a used car and it's a luxury car. They'll still buy from you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think (laughs) don't overextend yourself. So basically, yeah. So what you're saying is invest the most you can in the equipment. So the phone, the laptop tablet, whatever, mm-hmm. or car within reason. So you don't right. have to get the newest iPhone if it's out. If the two-year-old no. model still does the exact same features that that's you right. need, that's perfect. And same with computers as well or, yep. or whatever. But no, that's yep. a good thing to really know. Because mm-hmm. I think about people want to, like you said, they want to have the optics. They want to show up mm-hmm. in the custom-made clothes or the, you know, the, yeah. the, the car that's wrapped in their picture mm-hmm. and the magnets on the thing. Which yeah. I don't know why I, I, I wouldn't want to wrap my car with a picture of my face, but hey. <laughs> that might be later as a second car because I've seen agents. That's usually a, sec, a second car that they have a second vehicle and they have it wrapped, and then their husband, wife, or kids, whatever, will drive that car, and then they have the primary car that they drive. So oh. it really, yeah. So don't be fooled. <laughs> <laughs> so what to be a realtor, broker, whatever in the real estate business? What is there any special insurance that uh, people would need to and have to get? So we are insured by our board. So whatever board you're part of, like uh, we have the Real Estate um, Council of Ontario. We have the Canadian Real Estate Council of Ontario. Then we have our specialized board. If you're part of the Toronto Real Estate Board, then you're part, part of uh, uh, TREB. Mm-hmm. Or if you're part of Durham, it's DRAR. And they offer insurances too for realtors. But if they offer basic work insurance if you were to get sued or anything by a client or whatever. So they offer those insurances. Some of them also offer personal insurances. But if you have an insurance person that you work with, then it's advised to just sit down and have a conglomerate of your house, your maybe they can arrange work for you or whatever. I have an insurance broker that works all that out for me. I say, hey, I need... I need work insurance, like in case anything happens to me on the road, I need do you tell you you need to tell me how much I may need to, um, compared to the income that I make or what my expenses are so that I can at least cover my expenses. 
and then have my insurance for life and disability and all that other stuff. So it's something that you definitely, and taxes, taxes is a big thing. Many realtors within the first five years will go bankrupt. I don't care how well you're doing. They will go bankrupt because of taxes because they don't understand that there's two different pools of taxes. You have your personal taxes and then you have your business taxes. So a lot of people, they go, it's only 13%. No, it's not. No, it's not. (laughs) So you need to put away, even though this, you know, 20, 30,000, oh my gosh, my commission. Oh gosh. Put that money away because the government does not play when it comes to real estate agents and mortgage brokers. (laughs) They do not play. They will come to your door and look for their money. And if you don't have it, that you will, they will swipe away almost everything from you, garnish your wages, slap a lien on your house. So taxes, I've seen a lot of age, big agents go down because of it. So, so have a good tax, a tax agent that works with you that, and that maybe specializes in real estate taxes from the business side as yep. well, because I think, 100%. yeah, you have to be very careful 100%. with that. Like you said, I don't think people don't think about that. They just think, okay, 13%, that's all it is. But apparently you're telling, no, it's not. There's way more to it. Because I always wonder when I hear about celebrities owing so much tax money to the government, it's like, how do they do, how, why do they owe so much? I don't understand. Though. Because it's not done properly. Yeah. So when you're, because I have, I have, when I talk to my accountant, I'm like, when I file my tax papers, we're literally sitting on the phone for about an hour or two going through all of the paperwork and what I need and this and that and the third. So you need to think about, okay, you have your personal taxes and you have your business taxes because you have to have your HST for your business. Mm-hmm. So then you got to submit that and go through the motions of that. And yes, some accountants can do write-offs, but again, they need to know, I, I feel, as I said, get an accountant that understands real estate because there's some things that they may catch that you didn't catch and they'll be able to write it off properly for you and do a lot of write-offs. So for me, I always make sure that when I get my, my commission or when I get, cause you get commission plus taxes. So some people may end up creeping into that section, not realizing, even though you got that 13% tax, go save another 13% because you also have your personal. So yeah. you don't know how that's going to be affected. Yeah. And, and, and there's no harm in having, you can have a couple of accounts, one that just handles your personal yeah. side and yeah. one that's specifically to your business. Because some people want to say, oh, we'll just use one accountant for both. But not all accounts, not all agents are specialists and they that's each right. has their own focus. And you might have right. an accountant that's really great for personals and maybe complex mm-hmm. personal taxes. But the yeah. minute you switch to a business one, they might know mm-hmm. some basics that's right. But going That's to right. someone who specializes in that, like you said, may I be able to see some other areas that the other, that your regular account cannot see. No, that's a really good tip. That's a really good tip. Okay. So mm-hmm. now we're on to the personal stuff. Latoya Wallace, yes. what is your story? My personal story. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so my personal story, I am, so I was married at one point and then I'm, I also got divorced. So I know that's also hard for some people too. And again, I tell people, that come to me with those issues that you have to understand that um, you can rebuild yourself. I did it. Like I rebuilt myself. It took me a, a year to put myself together, but I did. This is why I said it, it took me like it took me. I did have to start from scratch at a point. So I started from scratch, but I made sure to do my money management properly. So reach out to the right people to help you 
get into that space again because it is hard. And you don't want to end up in a situation where you're grieving for five, 10 years and then you turn around and realize you have nothing because I've seen clients do that. From there, just family. I try to create that balance when it comes to family. And that's why I say investments are important. Because then you want to make sure that you balance your family, balance family and, and work life. So I do make a conscious effort to make sure that I, I balance family and work life. So my family is important to me. That's my actually one of my reasons why I do investments. I don't do it because I'm just like, oh, I just want to talk about my investments. No. Yeah, just to brag that I have this many units under management. No. I'm sure there are some people that do that. They want to have there the bigger are. the number, the better. But I think yeah. a lot of people, it's just like you said, it's that time aspect of how to actually have money coming in without having to work seven different jobs. Because right. I think the, right. the old school mentality is, okay, if I want money, I have to get a job. Another money, another yes. job. And uh, you can only do so much with that. So if you can find mm-hmm. different investments or businesses that don't require yeah. as much, once it's running smoothly, of course. That's right. Then that's, that's right. a great thing. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. I always say, you know, to people when they're like, oh, I want to invest. And I'm like, what's your number? Is it five, 10? Are you going to base it on the cash flow that you make? Would five, $10,000 a month in cash flow after expenses be okay for you? Like to just maybe take it easy. And if you do want to take a week, two weeks off from work or whatever, will that be okay for you and your family? Will you be okay if you get low, let go from your job or you don't feel like working for it? Will that be okay for you? So I always look at it from that perspective. If I'm not working for a year or two, am I okay? So yeah. I always say there's many agents in this industry where they can't even take a few months off. They shouldn't take a few months off because <laughs> they're broke as a joke and they're living off of credit. Yeah. So I say, no, you got to figure out what is that threshold first to eliminate your everyday living expenses. Like at the end of the month, when you look at everything and you pay everything, what is that number? Let's do, let's start from there first and let's try yeah. to get enough money from your portfolio to eliminate that. So you're okay. Then now let's, you know, look at the portfolio in a different matter, in manner. So, yeah, there's different ways of looking at it for sure. Yeah, no, that's perfect. That's great to hear. <laughs> so, all right, let's talk about this part here. So what has been the funniest buying, selling story that you've had in your many years in the trenches of real estate? Oh, my goodness. One <laughs> of the funniest was when my client bought a house and the seller didn't want to leave. The seller literally wanted to live in the garage. (laughs) Seriously? (laughs) Yes. You can't live in a garage. (laughs) She regretted selling her house. And after the closing, she said she doesn't want to. She regrets selling and that if she can't live in the house, she'll live in the garage. So we're sitting there looking at each other like, what? That's not even possible. (laughs) So, yeah. It what was ended up happening the at the end? end? So what was the end result of that? Thank God we contacted the other realtor and uh, the other realtor actually um, bailed out on us. So oh, we no. had to, yeah. So we actually asked her if she had any family members that we can contact to just have a conversation with them and try to fix it. So she gave us her daughter's number and her daughter actually came down to get her away from the house. So it was a a good story from that perspective, but definitely a weird one. So (laughs) Yeah, it was was like, what? (laughs) What do you mean you don't want to leave? So we can live in the house, but you can live in the garage. I'm like, 
where are we going to put our cards? That's where we want to put our car. In the yeah, garage. it was really weird. I was like, that is really weird. So we just, so every time I talk to my clients, we sit back and we sit back and laugh about it because we're like, wow, in the moment we're like, what are we going to do with this? <laughs> and just for the record too, Latoya, since you're the expert in this, is there any way to convert mm-hmm. a garage into a living space if no car is going to be there? It depends on where you are. Okay. So depends on it. Toronto, Durham. It de- it really depends on the city. Yeah. So the city could say yes or no. It, it really depends. It's just they have the new laneway houses that they're building in de- in uh, Toronto. Okay. So that's new. So you can convert garages that are in the back. You can convert those. Oh, into those houses. ones. Yes, the laneway yeah. houses. That's what those are called. That's okay. Right. That's right. So that so it's possible. So it's a, yes, depending on where you are, and yeah. depending on if the you know, it's permitted and everything else. So it yeah. really depends. We're not recommending people go into their garage and try to live out of it because I'm sure it's <laughs> no. just, but if you want to be- However, yeah. however, keep in mind what you can't do here, don't exit out it if you buy properties in the States because it's a completely different ballgame out there. Oh, well, what? Mm-hmm. Okay. Build another garage really just for living a house living in. Because I always thought that, man, why doesn't anyone really start to build these tiny homes that you hear so much of? Who is, if, if someone could just- have a big piece of land, they could probably build a bunch of tiny homes and that could help solve some of the real estate issues that might be around. But I can imagine it being very, I think people are, most people probably might mm-hmm. be size conscious. I'm sure there's like the minimalists that might want the tiny homes. I don't yeah. know if the average person, especially if they're used to living in a, well, I'll use in quotes, a regular type of home that has yeah. all this space. And now you're trying to condense yeah. that down to a really tiny space. I don't know if most people will buy into that, but yeah, it's not that. It's zoning. It's really a right. zoning issue. Well, this most likely, depending on the the makeup of the community or the neighbors or whomever, they might not want that there. Right. So it's really not people because people, to be quite honest, there's a lot of people that are looking for something to rent other than a basement apartment. Right. So I'm pretty sure in that case, that would be perfect for them. So oh, I get my own space. I don't have to live in a basement apartment. I'm living above ground. But it's really... The collective of the city, the people, and it's just everybody, how much it's going to cost and everything else. So it, it really, it's a really a collective of everything. It's not just people may not want to live in it. We're going through a housing crisis right now. Rents, rents are through the roof. Die for something like that where they can have their own space. But it's really some people just, as I say, NIMBY. They don't want it in their backyard. Yeah, I think that that's the challenge, right? So you can have mm-hmm. a lot of open land. But like That's you right. said, do you want to bring that in? Because obviously tiny homes are actually not a bad idea. My Mrs. K tried to sell me on a tiny home. She's, <laughs> when we downsize, you know, when the kids move out, we should just get a tiny home. I'm like, okay, then we're going to get two tiny homes. <laughs> one for me, one for you, right? So yeah, we'll yeah. hang out in yours, but I sleep in mine. So it's or <laughs> something to that effect. Like maybe I'll have an yeah. office in my tiny home, a gym in my tiny home, and yeah. we'll have the dining living space in your tiny home. I don't know if that works. That's right. But, there but, you go. <laughs> and I'll just make yeah. this one last story. I know we're getting, wow, we're already past an hour. I'm surprised how fast this has flown by. But the funniest story <laughs> that I had was when we bought our house in Ajax, where <laughs> we went in to do an inspection. We already purchased it <laughs> and it was great. And uh, the family that we bought it from, I believe there was like a husband and wife, or like a grandparent <laughs> and three kids in their 20s. So it's actually a pretty yeah. nice size home. And I remember <laughs> I was taking Mrs. K, my mom, and uh, we all visited this house and our agent have declared, had told, had set the times to say, okay, we're going to be coming in. So we were coming in on a Saturday morning and we said, is that going to be okay? And the seller was saying, sure, absolutely. It's okay. So anyways, we go into the house 
the people are still in the house, which we did not know. So we went into the house and we were there. We had our tape measures. We were going to try to measure to make sure we can fit all our couches and all that stuff. And we went up to the room, which is now my daughter's room. There was literally someone sleeping in the bed. Now, you can see this figure wiggling around. They're sleeping. So I'm not really too sure why, but it was very uncomfortable where the mother was telling us, yeah, go ahead. And I looked at the mother. I said, no, we're not going in the bed when there's someone still sleeping. And this is 10 o'clock in the afternoon. This is not like it was like 8 a.m. or whatever. Yeah. So in, in essence, we showed up to this inspection for our house mm-hmm. where the homeowners were still in the house. And yes. we went into the we went into the room, which is now my daughter's room. But we went up there. There was still someone sleeping in the bed. And the yes, mother was saying, yes. yeah, by all means, go in. I'm like, no, we're not going to go in. <laughs> and then we were, I, I go into the master bedroom. And then I guess mm-hmm. the grandfather was sleeping there. We happened to walk in. He sits up. He has no shirt on. And his dog yes. is on his bed. And we were there to measure the stuff. And their wife's, yeah, you can go in and look around. I'm like, I'm not going into the room with this gentleman with no shirt on. Yeah. And, and yeah. downstairs, my wife and my mom were there. And they, they inspected the basement. One of the mm-hmm. kids was walking down with a towel around his waist to go and shower in the basement washroom. <laughs> we're yeah. still inspecting it. And we're like, no. So we, we left. Yeah. And this is the first time I heard my mom and Mrs. K both yell at the top of their lungs while we're driving back to our, our, our old place. And I'm like, wow, that's a new one. But, yeah, it's uh, a common experience. It's yeah. a... Now it's time for the rapid fire round. So mm-hmm. we talked a lot of business. We talked a lot of interesting stories. So let's add some more, more lighthearted stuff. So Latoya, what mm-hmm. would the 15-year-old you imagine you'd be doing right now? I thought at 15, I'd probably be a lawyer. Really? Mm-hmm. That's a new one. I don't really get very many of those. Lawyers. Yeah. I can mm-hmm. see you being a lawyer. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Second question. And uh, have you ever eaten a whole blank something by yourself? So it, original question was like, a tube of Pringles, but I'm like, well, some people don't eat Pringles. So have you ever yeah. eaten a whole something by yourself? Pizza. Pizza. How big? <laughs> pizza. Yeah. Mm, cheese pizza. Yeah. Cheese pizza. Stuffed yes. crust or no stuffed crust? No stuffed crust. Oh, yeah. I, in my in my 20s, I used to do that, especially when it came to yeah. Good Friday and we yes. weren't allowed to eat meat. I would order a <laughs> medium cheese lover's pizza with a stuffed crust. And yeah. uh, I just had one not too long ago. My heart hurts, so I don't think I'm probably going to be doing that very often. But no, good to know. Pizza. Yes. Medium or large? Medium. Medium. I couldn't do a large. The large, I would have to be really hungry to do a large. (laughs) I'll have to intermittently fast in order to do a large. So maybe that would be the case. (laughs) Yeah. All right. What are your guilty pleasures? Aside from Mm. eating a pizza by yourself. What is? I love sweets. I love chocolates and candies. Yeah, like I have a sweet tooth. So, <laughs> so that's my thing. Like people are like, oh, like, it, like why do you have that four piece chocolate bar in your, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> sorry. It's just to give me energy. Just I like the sugar. You... <laughs> yeah. Well, I wish I had a sweet tooth. And like I, I was telling my last guest here, we were talking mm-hmm. about nutrition and some people have like 
a salt tooth, a sweet tooth. Some people have like mm-hmm. a wine tooth. Mine is a fast food tooth. Really? I, I wish it was something that I, I was just a salt tooth. I could just eat a bag of chips and I'll be good. No, if yeah. I'm going to eat, mine's a fast food, whether it's a Burger King, McDonald's, Wendy's, Harvey's, you name it. Yeah. Even, that is my thing where it's, that is what I, so if I didn't have at least my fast food fix at least once a week, I would go a bit crazy because my wife, Miss K and I, we were on intermittent fasting for a while and we still are, maybe not for the holidays. But what made it work for me is that yes. we didn't want to go full-blown keto, which is which is okay for those who can. But yes. it was just that if I didn't get my fix of at least the fast food part. So if 100% keto is what the rules are, I was yes. 85, 15. So 85% of the time I followed the principles of it. That 15, I did not. But Latoya, <laughs> I'm telling you, man. That 15% though? Yes. Awesome. (laughs) And I think that's why I'm able to, and that's why I'm able to continue it because of that. Because if you you repress everything, when it comes out, oh, it's not going to be pretty. (laughs) You will binge like you will not believe. Yeah, and I finally do that. I do that. I end up doing that. So I'm like, okay, no, I'm not going to have a little bit. No. (laughs) Yeah, you have to. I just need to, yeah, I just need to eat. And then I'm okay. I'm okay, you know what? I've had my fix. I'm okay. And yeah. then I can keep going. Yeah, because so, yeah. the really bad thing that happened to me back when we were early 20s was that we didn't have a lot of money, so I didn't really eat a lot of bad food. So I think for right. going on six months, I had no fast food at all. And right. I think one time, I think uh, Ms. K and I were out. We we're still, I think just we were living together and we just went out for something. For, I can't remember what it was, but we ended up mm-hmm. having to get some fast food. The minute it touched my mouth, Latoya, for the next <laughs> three days, yeah, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh my yes. God, I was binging on like you would not believe. <laughs> and I'm surprised my heart didn't explode back then. So that's why now I try to, as long as you get that satiated thing for like once a week. Yeah, then I'm you're good. okay. But yeah, okay. sorry, back to you. Yeah. I know this must be rapid fire. We talked about your question. No worries. Describe your sense of humor in one word. Very serious, but I know people don't know that you you probably are really funny. But I'm kind of curious to hear this myself. Sarcasm. Sarcasm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Because <laughs> I don't know, like I mentioned people in, in the intro that Latoya and I have gone, went to the same high school together for, mm-hmm. so we've been knowing each other for, my God, I think 26 years. I'm like, oh my gosh, you just aged us. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> we've known each other for the past six years where we went, where we just, we finished high school six <laughs> years ago. <laughs> it's okay. Sarcasm. That's okay. All right. Yeah, last question here. Rapid fire here. <laughs> what is your theme song? And why? So if you're walking down the street and that mm. song hits, when you when people hear it, they know Latoya's coming. And maybe not the tenants who walk <laughs> into your property when they see you come into your property, but what is that song? That's a good question. I don't know. I've never really thought about it. My like high energy pumped up music. It gets me like pumped and to get into the day. And it's usually like a maybe like a survivor type like song. So it can be like and I and I love like dance beats. Mm-hmm. So anything like dance beats that gets you like in that mood. So I can't really say a particular one because as I said, I just like dance music in general. So I, like anything that like gets me going, that's pumped up and fired up to get the day started. And even though you get knocked down, you'll get back up again. Nice. Uh, yeah. And I'll, I'll make this last point here. Mrs. K always, I think sometimes thinks I'm going through a midlife crisis myself because sometimes <laughs> I'll be, let's say I'm preparing dinner because I, I, I might work from home because like I work at a bank and I work from home because of the pandemic and she's in the mm-hmm. hospital. She's come back and sometimes she's come back in and I'm playing mm-hmm. like EDM music 
while she's coming yeah. in with the big bass going. And this is what you're supposed to be listening to in your, like, your 20s? Like, Ken, you're like in your 40s. Why are you listening to this music? I'm like, I don't know what it is. There's just something about yeah. it. And when I used yeah, to... Yeah, it gets me pumped up. It's, yeah. it's just like high energy. Yeah, now I can do my stuff. I can do my work. I'm energized. Yeah, so I'm the same way. Like, I'm yeah. like, okay, like, I'm more of an old school person. So I love, like, 90s dance music, like techno. And oh, yeah, yeah, give me that. And I'm in that all day. Yeah. And the funny thing, too, when I listen to this kind of music and the kids are listening to it, why is it a bunch of picture of cars and their lighting? I'm like, I don't know. That's just what the YouTube <laughs> video shows, right? It's just heavy <laughs> bass, whatever, just, yes. and you're just moving and grooving to while you're doing it. And, I, and the funny thing is, I'm a little bit the opposite of Latoya. That I actually don't mind listening to this stuff when I'm coming home. When I used to go to the office, coming mm -hmm. home from going to the office, I actually want to hear the news. Because I'm just listening. Oh, yeah. I want to hear if we're driving. So usually my, Mrs. K and I, after we drop the kids off at like daycare back then, but we'd be driving in. If I have to go to the downtown office and she has to go to the hospital, we'll drive to, let's say, a subway station to drop me off. If we're driving, and the only thing I'm really hearing for, aside from current events, is the public transit. Is one of the mm. subway trains that I'm supposed to be taking, if I hear those words, shuttle mm -hmm. bus. I'm like, okay, you're going to drop me off at my mom's house. I'm going to work at my mom's house, mom and dad's house. I do not want to go through. I don't want to do shuttle buses. It's just too, yeah. it's crazy. It's too, much. too much. And that's yeah. why I think nowadays with the whole pandemic thing, I think people, they want to try to get people back into the office. I don't know if that's going to be a thing. challenge. I think that if they, if people feel comfortable working from home, let them work from home and still continue to monitor, or do whatever. Because a lot of people, at, at the end of the day, and I, I talked to, I talked about this with one of my clients, and I said, you know what? A lot of workplaces are are bringing their employees back because you have to understand that they paid for, they paid to lease commercial space. Yes. So a lot of commercial space, they're not. They might be in the middle of their contract, may, which might be a fifteen to twenty year contract. Right. So they, it's not as easy for them to break the lease, go to a smaller office and accommodate a smaller team. So they may be bringing back people because it, they need to fill the space. Yeah. And, and I think that's why for some of the people, I think that they're one concern to the average Joe who doesn't, mm -hmm. or, or Joe, Jolene, or whatever you want to call it, but the average person. Yeah. If you think about, let's say, the office worker, because a lot of people, office mm -hmm. workers are working from home. And a mm -hmm. lot of people don't realize is that, you know, how we changed, how we're pivoting now is so different mm -hmm. than what it used to be. Because before, where I used to, where I work is that you could work from home a couple of days a yeah. week. Not a big deal. Yes. And yes. if you wanted to work more from home, you had to give a great business case to say why you have to work from home more. COVID-19 flipped it so that now people who want to go in the office, you have to really have a good business case to go into the office. That's it, you know? right? That's it. And that's why I said it's going to be a challenge because a lot of people have to justify why they're going into the office. Uh, not only justify going into the office, but they also have to justify why they should work from home collectively, why they should work from home. Another, which is going to be hard to prove, as I said, with the long leases, I don't see it happening. Yeah. And I've heard of some, <laughs> I, I really don't. And I'd heard of some uh, banks even trying to, or some people saying that they're going to, they're, they're going to try to retrofit the offices to turn them into residential or, cause I guess there's a condo shortage in Toronto. I don't know how that's actually going to work. Just thinking yeah. what a corporate building looks like, I'm like, yeah, you could, but that's, I don't know if that's even doable. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I, even like downtown Toronto, I'm thinking with a lot of those buildings, like some of the companies during the pandemic that may had a chance to renew their leases, some of them have moved. Mm -hmm. So they've moved to get either cheaper rents or they've moved out of the city. So again, 
there's a lot of change that's happening. So I'm fascinated to see within the next maybe three to four years to see what's going to happen. Because I said, like, some of the companies have to live out their leases or else it's going to cost them big money to break those contracts. So it'll be very interesting to see. Wow. So honestly, I just want to say on record, this has been the longest podcast interview I've ever done, which is really good. Congratulations (laughs) on that. So it's been, it it flew by fast. I I just don't think it, it it flowed really well. So just, so the listeners here, if they're aspiring real estate agents or just in general, how can people reach out? You can reach me through my website at www.latoyawallace.com or you can call me at 647-206-0014 or you can email me at latoya.wallace at gmail.com. All right. So thank you you very much, Latoya. We had a great time. And and yeah, we'll look forward to having you back. I have a feeling we we might have to bring you back again, especially from the investment side of uh, exciting. exciting. So thank you very much again, Latoya. No problem. Take care, Ken. All right, guys, that was our episode with Wallace. And I can tell that uh, it was a very good episode. We had a lot of information there. It's almost sometimes difficult to try to absorb everything that we just covered. So please feel free to play this episode a few more times just so you can grab all the nuggets. Some of the favorite things I remember hearing in this episode was, one, you know, if you're going to do this, make sure you actually do your due diligence on whatever you're going to do, whether it's becoming an agent or on the investment side. I think that's very important, especially on the investment side. If you're going to be managing your own properties, please take well-documented notes, every single thing, especially you'd want to make sure should you get taken to the landlord-tenant tribunal, you're going to do okay. But Latoya has got some great stories and I'm glad you were here to listen to it. All right, guys, that's it for today and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the SME Stories Podcast, which is owned by Northway Capital Group. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Northway Capital Group.